Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the Designer Relations Developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am uh, doing another podcast today because I'm very excited to kind of expand the scope of LD at Large. I primarily focus on rock and roll, but after an extended isolation period, I've gotten through quite a few of the rock and roll people. There's still quite a few that I want to get to, but uh, I thought I would take a little side, a uh, little side adventure and kind of go into some of the world of theater and opera and dance. And so I've been reaching out to some, some very prolific people in that design. And a good friend of mine asked me if I could reach out to his good friend and kind of get his unique philosophies and the take on the industry. So I am very excited to be joined by Alan Edwards today. He's a lighting designer out of New York City. Thank you so much, Alan, for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. I, I see that you are not in New York City right now. It looks like you've gotten out to kind of adventure out of the, out of the craziness for a little bit. Uh, yeah, I had, to, I had to get out. This was 15 weeks, and I had had it. <laughs> That's a good toler, tolerance. Uh, 15 weeks in, a, in, a, in the city is impressive. One of the things that I'm, I consider a gift out here is that I don't have to deal with elevators. I'd imagine being in the city... How do you socially distance with elevators? Well, you know that that I when I moved to New York City, I did not want to live on a high floor. The building I lived in uh, previous to moving to New York uh, was twelve floors, and I said, you know what? When I when I get to the city, I think I should keep it low. I need to, you know, keep it to a point that I can go up and down the stairs if I have to. And then we had Hurricane Sandy, <laughs> and you know, the people getting stranded. And I was very thankful that I do not live on a high floor. I'm just high enough. Uh, and so there has been a little bit of stair, stair going. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to let the elevator air out or you don't want to get in there with people or... Yeah. You know what? It's, it's easy to go down on the stairs at least. So. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I'm going to take the stairs. No that's disrespect. My, I just, uh, it's my thing now. It's yep. my... That's a thing I didn't know that was part of my life, but now <laughs> stairs are a part of my life. Gonna, and with all the gyms being closed. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> I, so I live in this small uh, village outside of Windsor, Ontario, and I, I could go my whole life up here without incur encountering an elevator. So I, I don't know if that's something that we need to embrace more to avoid stuff like this, but mm. yeah, the city is full of them. So uh, it sounds like you've been very smart to do your best to avoid them. Uh, yeah. And I mean, I'm also thankful that my, the building management, uh, they have been, you can smell the bleach. I'll say that. <laughs> you can smell it. That's, that's that sounds very effective. I, I think we should all be doing everything we can to protect ourselves as much as possible. And if, uh, the spell of, if the smell of bleach is the, is the sign of a, of a, of a clean elevator. I'll take it every day. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So let's get straight into it. Uh, how did you decide that storytelling through light was for you? Did you, was it uh, young in your career or young in your life? Uh, I've been doing this. Well, I guess I got started. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Let's go all the way back. We got nothing but time. So I was actually there's been a lot of reminiscing in the last 15 weeks with people. And I think a couple of days ago, I was trying to figure out what the first show I saw was. It was either the Nutcracker uh, at the Eastman theater in Rochester or 
something at Jiva in Rochester. I can't remember which one. It might have been the Nutcracker, the actual first, you know, proscenium. Okay. Uh, like 92, 93, uh, 19, 93. Um, <laughs> and then uh, where it, I'd say where it actually got started was in 1996. My uh, sixth grade class took a group trip from, from, Rochester to Toronto to see Beauty and the Beast at the Princess of Wales Theater. And that was, you know, the whole class goes five buses, day trip. Uh, and I remember thinking that that was phenomenal. Um, the our guest was amazing. We had amazing seats. We were in the center, center orchestra, uh, probably under the balcony, but I remember being like, wow. And it was, a, it was a head on view. Um, and so that was, that was spectacular. And then I, that prompted me to come back to Rochester. And I then went and saw the fall or went and saw the play that was playing at my middle school where they came up shortly after. Um, and then in seventh grade, I was, are we, this, is this all interesting? I was, uh, I wanted to get involved. And so I was on the fall play uh, that was a tribute to Andrew Lloyd Webber. And my job was to open the curtain and close the curtain <laughs> at the top of the show and at the bottom of the show. And that's all I did. Congratulations. Uh, that's, yep. Yeah. And I remember just waiting for a cue, waiting for a cue. Somebody tell me to do something. Nope, that's all it was. <laughs> you were hooked. And yeah. Uh, and then in eighth grade, I was on the the stage crew uh, for the Wizard of Oz. And this is where it gets interesting. When I went to ninth grade, uh, at the high school, they were a little bit more organized about the crew and all of that. And so they divided up everybody into groups, and you were either on lighting or props or costumes or scenery. And so then, you know, that was just your group that you worked with. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea what that meant. Um, you know, I somebody picked me and put me on a group. But it was interesting. And so we went that year. And, oh, the interesting point. So at the end of that year, the uh, girl who had the key to the lighting board, it was an Acclaim 300. Ooh. For anyone who wants to look at some lighting history, the on and off switch was a lock. Mm -hmm. with a key uh and she asked me if i wanted the key to the lighting board and i said sure um and so what that meant was that that person was responsible for lighting uh not only the play and the musical or whatever but you know there are assemblies and award ceremonies and honors and whatever it's your your responsibility to come in and take care of those things in the auditorium that's your job uh, but, but, you know, she just gave me the key without any other. <laughs> um, Here's the key. You're the lighting guy. Dude. That was it. Out. <laughs> uh, so, so my sophomore year, I just started, you know, kind of running with it. And I remember we had, uh, our lunch break was in the middle, of, in the middle of the morning, really 1030 to noon. Um, but on that time. I would just be in there, me and another friend of mine, Brian, we'd be in there just fooling around with stuff. You know, the music teachers would let us in the auditorium. No one else was doing anything. In it. Mm -hmm. um, and then I started working on the productions and I'm trying to remember what the first one was. I think it might've been Steel Magnolias. Uh, so realistic, I didn't get it. Um, <laughs> but I, That's no, a tough I, one. You know, I, it, it did fine. Um, you could see everybody. Cool. Uh, I wouldn't say it was any kind of art. Um, but then um, I was in a choir called the Rush Henrietta Singers. And uh, my choir teacher, I remember asking if I could light a piece that we were singing. And she said, yeah. And so I lit, I believe it was Wild Wild West, the choir choral rendition of Will Smith's uh song 
and that was fun. It was well received by the audience. It was actually a lot of fun. I, you know, with some color and stuff on, it was primarily stuff on the walls, but you know, whatever. Um, and so that went well. Uh, and then I guess I really started to get into it in, in junior year. Um, my drama teacher uh, really made space for the art of light. Not that we knew what we were talking, you know, it's high school drama and some kid who's messing with the lights, mm -hmm. but she really made room for that. Um, and then in the spring of my junior year, she uh, allocated a $4,000 budget for me to rent equipment to light the musical. And wow. I'd say that that was, I mean, I, I learned a lot on that. And it was programmed on an express, uh, which was also, that was like a, that was a huge step up for us to rent a lighting console. Mm -hmm. But with scrollers and uh, there was some other scenic stuff that was involved. And I, I have a video of the show and I, I have looked at it from time to time. And it's still, you know, I, I don't want to, it's not like I knew what I was doing, but <laughs> now assessing choices and there are some really nice stage pictures and the cueing and the, you know, the idea that you can control something over time was like a brand new thing because you can write cues mm -hmm. on the Express, which you couldn't do on the Acclaim 300. And so the art, the art of that, the idea of following people around, or, you know, that was brand new then. So you went from functional... Uh, arena style, just lighting the area to actually making decisions and choices and basically creating art. Yeah. And the fact that you could now move something in a five count and then move it in a zero, like, and you didn't have to mm -hmm. remember all those little things. You could cue them. Mm -hmm. um, that was a big deal. Uh, and I, I ran with that and the scrollers, uh, you know, they were rock and roll scrollers, but the, the fact that we could have more color options. We only had, I think, 40, if I thought about it for, for 30 seconds, I could tell you how many dimmers, but it was like 40. Okay. There were 10 in the front of house that repeated, uh, yep. you know, six on one side on the, on the box boom, six on the other side, and then 10 on one electric, the first electric over stage, and then upstage, there was another electric of 10, which repeated on both sides, you know, and that was it. That's when you decided, like, yeah, this is cool. I like well, doing yeah, the story. The, uh, I like the yeah. storytelling aspect. And the musical was honk. And the band director, who was who was uh, the music, well, there was the vocal music director, who was my choir teacher, and then there was the band. He was conductor, but I'd say he was like the band music director. Had rearranged some of the music and made like they just they really they were a good team working together, and they would they would make a thing. And my drama teacher, who was the director, was really good. She is still really good. I still send stuff to her to edit. She's a really good editor. Mm -hmm. um, and so they really made a piece. Even if you listen to the honk uh, recording, I would say that our arrangements were a little bit, I don't know. I don't know if I'm partial, but they, but they, you know, they just had something. And so I was, I was running with that. Um, and so uh, that was junior year. And that okay. is the piece that uh, I uh, interviewed at colleges for, with, interviewed with at colleges. Okay. Now, um, for the interviews at colleges, uh, I was in like computer science. That's where I was kind of going before the arts. Um, and my music theory teacher insisted that I interview at Ithaca College, which was his alma mater 30 years before, but he said their, their program, you have to interview at their program. Okay. And so I had interviewed at some other places and then we just kind of like zeroed in on Ithaca and I went down there and um, they were great. They were fantastic. Okay. Uh, so somewhere in there, you had to tell your parents that you weren't going to go into computer science and that you were going to go into theater. It was my drama teacher who made that. <laughs> <laughs> you had some support then. Yeah. Uh, and, I do, and she did say that, you know, he's actually really good at this. Okay. How did that go? Uh, for a little while. It was. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think the getting into, you know, Ithaca College, which is a private institution 
um, and a, I mean, they're, they're, they are accredited, then they're, they're graduates. There's so many posters on the wall in the lobby that now it's just taken over the whole lobby of everywhere where these graduates have gone, even if mm-hmm. you only go back 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're, they're, we're working. Ithaca graduates are working. Right. Um, and there's, you know, they say that there's the Ithaca mafia because even on, on the first Broadway show I, I worked on, not not in the lighting department. I walked in and there were three other Ithaca grads there. Uh, my good friend Jimmy Lawler brought that up too. He said a lot of the colleges are, for lack of a better term, they're mafia, they're mafia-like and the, how they stick to their own and they support their own. And no matter how far along you are in your career, you can always fall back on them and they'll be like, they'll always be willing to do you a favor. I mean, yeah, to, to, especially if you're, if you're still, if you're still active. Yeah. And like, so my, my college, uh, I'll say that that's kind of where I already, I was coming from a lighting background and I did some scenery in high school. I did a set design for a coffee shop, which was, uh, kind of like a concert, but it was intimate, you know, three quarter, but I, I'd say it was more lighting, but you know, that's where the consultation thing comes from. It's like, sometimes it's lighting, sometimes it's scenery, sometimes it's idea. Uh, how, you know, which part is interesting to be involved in and where I have something to say. Um, but at Ithaca, uh, in your senior year, well, first of all, in your junior year in the drama department, you have the option to go to London for a semester, either in the first or second semester, depending on a bunch of different things. Uh, but so I studied in London for, what, four and a half months and saw 56 shows. Uh, because in a semester, in a semester, wow, we were seeing one a week with, with a fantastic class, uh, led by professor Timothy kid. Uh, he's retired, but he's a legend. Uh, that class is interrelationships and it was tours of London history. And then you see shows. So we were seeing one show a week with that class. And then, uh, I was getting out and seeing my goal was to see everything I could see. So I was seeing two shows a week. Uh, and uh, they have the thing over there called concessions. And like, if you're, they might, I don't know what it is now. This is almost, this is 15 years ago. But uh, if you're a student, you can get a discounted ticket. If you're out of work, you can get a discounted ticket. If you're blah, 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 blah. So I was just getting discounted tickets everywhere. Uh, and so I saw, I saw some of the best stuff I have ever seen. And I also saw maybe one of three shows one of three shows that I have ever thought about walking out on. Wow. It was like, it was the, the whole, <laughs> it was that bad. Some of, yeah. Some of it was like, hmm, okay. Was it offensive or just boring? Uh, it was like, what the heck is going on on stage? That's what it was. And that's <laughs> this hurts my brain. Yep. But you know, you know, everything in, 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 everything is not perfect and everything is not art. No, <laughs> everything yeah. is, you know, uh, so I can say I saw it all. <laughs> that is one of the magical things of our industries. You could be sitting there like, man, I'm probably going to get a walk out of this while the next person two seats over is going like, this is my jam. Yeah. This is the show that I paid to see. and I'm enjoying everything. And it's so subjective. Yep. That's right. So that's a, that's fun to know. I mean, man, 56 shows. I mean, that's, that's an entire season for, uh, for most, it's an entire year for most uh, theater companies. I mean, that's, yeah, I, we didn't have much else that was going on. We were traveling. I think we took three or four, four or five trips during the semester. But like the point was to get out mm-hmm. and, and see it. And I, I mean, I really, if, if I didn't have something that I had to come back for or to, I could have just stayed in London. Yeah. I've been trying to get a trip together to go back over there for the last 15 years. <laughs> now is not a good time. Now is not a good time. Now is uh, not a good time, but soon, soon. But soon, yeah. And and the main thing being that I don't want to go for like a weekend. Like I kind of want a repeat of that four and a half months, go for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. Enough to get over the time change and, you know. So there's that. But then in your senior year, they do a a thing called field studies where the uh, graduating seniors take a trip to New York and 
these the faculty set up inter not it's not interviews it's seminars and lectures and tours uh, with uh, Ithaca grads wherever they are there we have we've had people in special effects we've had backstage tours we've had tours with stage managers you know the acting department does what uh, you know they it's it's everything and it's a week long uh, event Sunday. And the last day is Friday. There's a, a you can call it a meet and greet, whatever. Okay. Graduates and and the recent grad or coming grads, and then some people stay through the weekend, and then the following week is spring break. But so during that week, it's like it's like thrown in. It's nonstop, eight a.m. to to midnight every day. Wow. Uh, and I think that's really fantastic. You meet a lot of people. It's for many people, it's their first time coming to New York City. Um, and it's great. So you had direct access to people working and succeeding in your industry. I mean, yeah, it's like, yeah, it was a a backdoor entry to, to get to see what nobody else gets to see and have actual conversation. Like I I do remember we visited, uh, Yakum and me special effects in Brooklyn and they gave us a bunch of demos that were pretty neat. Uh, and we had a grad who was working there and whatever. Um, but you know, like that. Okay, so here you are, a student, mm-hmm. and you know that this is your passion. And then there's a room full of professionals that you have access to, and they you, they are aware that you're going to come and ask them questions. How do you lead in that sort of a situation? Do you just go up and like, "Hello, my name's Alan." Well, I, they because I'm I actually I've actually done. I'm now one of the people who is a is a guest, like for the right. Last so now you're on the other side of it, 15 right? Fifteen years for thirteen years, yeah. Congratulations. Um, and the topics are organized. They send out, a, there's some things that they try to get every year. There's the recent grad panel, which is people who I, I believe have graduated in the last three years so that the coming grads can ask them questions. And then there's, you know, it's like surveying the students. What do you want to know about? Um, and that's how they put it. That's how they put it together. And sometimes it's in a room with us on one side and the panelists on the other. When I meet with the students, it's often at a bar after a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just say, you know, we can literally talk about anything and I can talk to you fall asleep. So whatever <laughs> you want to know, you know, as so I, I know that they have the structure. And so I try to give them the unstructured. <laughs> so nice. it's not so formal. Um, and if they just want to talk about the thing that they just saw, we can talk about the thing you just saw. That's great. It's the the organization and the structure there that you get in the school setting that you just can't get outside of school. I mean, we all know how to go to bars and find somebody who wants to talk shop, but being able to have that organization and that, okay, we all know what your interests are. So here's the people that know the most about that topic. And that's just a, a huge leg up that you can get in the school setting, I would imagine. I mean, it is. And, and again, for a lot of people, that's their first you know, they have come from wherever they've come from. They went to school and aside of high school theater, or maybe if their parents could afford to take them to a couple of shows, that's what they've got. Mm -hmm. And so this is like, you know, if you're going to, I guess if you're going to, if you plan to really run with theater in, in fact, when I, when I was in London, I remember saying I either have to be in London or in New York. Those are the two options. Those are like the theater capitals of the world mm-hmm. in terms of Western theater. Uh, and so, you know, this trip is the introduction to New York City. And it's a week long. It's not a day. You can get your picture of the Empire State Building and then still do other things. Cool. So when did you realize that uh, it was time and you were ready to move to the city? Before graduation. Um, yeah. Within, I, we, I graduated moved out of my apartment, was home for two weeks, and then I moved back to New York City. Wow. Um, I actually met with a designer who looked at my portfolio during that week. And he said, when you graduate, if you get to New York, let me know. And so okay. I had emailed him and said, hey, I'm coming. Um, him not, probably him not piecing together that I'm coming if you have a job for me. <laughs> But I said, hey, I'll be there. And he said, oh, great. When? And so then we kind of, you know, messed through a conversation. 
And he said he had this thing coming up if I could be there by this time. And so that happened to be two weeks from graduation. Wow. And so that's where I started working. Yeah. That's quick. That was very fast. And that was actually in scenery. Okay. Uh, but the point was to anything. Um, and that was, that was fantastic. There's so many, there's so many jobs behind the scenes in scenery that are not paperwork. There's the mm -hmm. model maker, there's the researcher, there's the model painter, there's the render artist, there's, you know, people doing the shop visits. There's, there's so much to be done. Um, and I, I ended up in the art department on a television special and there was only a handful of us. And I, you know, I, I've, I've learned Photoshop and I've learned many programs in the Adobe suite. And I was excited about New York. This is before I had a smartphone. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, I was, I was doing a lot of different things, uh, having to make a, make a thing on screen and then send it to someone in the scene shop to get it CNC routed and, you know, all of that. And then the graphics are put on it or painted on it or whatever. Like, it was like really throwing all, and then I'm making bows giant. This was for Sesame workshop, uh, <laughs> almost Christmas countdown, making, uh, the boxes or wrapping the boxes and making the, the bows for, uh, the scene behind big bird. Um, you know, it's like all that kind of stuff. So then there's that. And then there's, uh, there's, it was just like such a mix of things in the art department to manage. Mm -hmm. uh, and there was only a handful of us. It was like, uh, set designer, David Gallo. Uh, I think he had, I don't remember if it was one or two associates. And then there was only like three or four other people. And we were just like generating the stuff, you know, to be ready for the day we were going to shoot. Yeah. And of course it's also television. Um, so sometimes you have to have multiple options for things. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, I mean, we were just making stuff, just stuff, just, I remember I bought out all of the party cities in New York city of all of their wrapping paper <laughs> because we were trying to wrap these giant boxes and we needed so many of them. I just bought, I had bought out everybody's wrapping paper. It was July or June in, in 2007. <laughs> so that was an interesting problem. Um, we were trying to find Christmas trees and we needed a lot of them in June. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure there was a lot of people that, uh, when you did discover them, they're like, yeah, we got a lot of, we got them. They're all back here and they're really cheap right now. If you could find them. If you can. Well, and then I also remember I bought out all of the ribbon because because it was behind Big Bird, the boxes were big, but the small pattern that you'd get on regular wrapping paper wasn't big enough. Mm -hmm. And so the stripes and patterns you see on the boxes, that's actually a box wrapped in wrapping paper, solid. And then there is ribbon that is wrapped around and taped on the box to make the stripe, to make the stripe, you know, four inches wide. Right. Um, I remember that it, me and me and I can't remember her name, but it was one other person and we wrapped all of those boxes. It was like our job for like three days and made the bows and the bows were huge out of ribbon. Yeah. A, a standard ribbon is not nearly as impressive from 50 feet. You nope. got to make some big old bows. Yep. Huge bows. And like the, the ribbon that this is, I don't know if this is interesting or not, but it, I, I actually have a piece of it. The ribbon that's around Snuffleupagus's box is like, it's like 18 inches wide. It's a piece of corduroy that is stitched with uh, some, some detail down the side. From television length away, it doesn't look all that, you know, detailed, but like it's huge in real life. <laughs> <laughs> so these are the sort of shows that sounds like you were, you were willing to take these. I, I can't imagine this was your end goal though but you're like this is my first gig in new york i'm gonna do whatever's asked of me i mean that's what it was and also because it was before smartphones um i mean i was excited to be in new york mm -hmm. and i was often sent out shopping uh and just you know i was going everywhere i was just all over the place all the time every day was four or five errands to go and get this or pick up that or you know find this like mm -hmm. the thing, the, the day with the wrapping paper, I remember just hauling bags and bags and bags of wrapping paper. I got to get it from this party city and then I got to go out to that party city and get it. And then I got to go like, and it's because it's television, it's being generated so fast. Right. 
Um, and so I was learning the city and I also didn't have Google Maps. <laughs> phone I, books I'm, and yeah. phone calls and, and, and getting directions from people. Yeah. That's what it was. Oh, remember when we used to actually have to pull over and ask people for directions or just actually interact with other people to find something? Or you print out, you know, I remember when I was driving, you would go on MapQuest and print out your directions. Yep. And just hope. That. Just hope. Yep. Yep. Uh, so, so far, it sounds like you were a very goal-driven professional. It sounds like you were setting goals and then obtaining them and then reaching. Is that how you create opportunities for yourself? Do you just generate a goal and then pursue it? I mean, the funny thing is this goal was set in, I guess, 1996 or 1999. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I was just looking, you know, what is the next, what is the next, next way, next path to go down to get there? I mean, which is interesting to talk about. Uh, this is what I actually talk about with the, the Ithaca College grads. There's a couple of things. There's goal setting, there's sustainability, there's, um, and I'm blanking on the other one. But, you know, the long term, it's, it's hard to set a long term one. I didn't realize that uh, the long term one had, that it was there. I just kept going. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea, you know, you, you, you want to be on Broadway. So you just do whatever, whatever seems like it's going to get you there. Um, and it seemed like having schooling was going to get me there. And it seemed like I need to get the next, after school, it seemed like I needed to get to New York. Okay, now we're in the vicinity. Okay. And now I need to meet some people. Uh, and so I guess, yeah, I guess goal. And then, I mean, I also, now I listen to a lot of podcasts. And so there's nothing like a goal and a deadline. Yeah. Because <laughs> then, and if you learn editing, then you're like, yeah, all that other stuff would be great. But you know what? Uh, this is how much we'll get done by the deadline. Does that pass? Great. <laughs> Yeah, goals are so much more uh, useful when there's a deadline attached to them. Otherwise, you're like, yeah, still working on that goal. Like, how long have you been working on that? Ah, about seven years now. Yep, yep. What steps have you taken? Not much lately. Right. Yeah. Goals and deadlines are very important. Uh, I, I would imagine it's the idea of just sent, setting that intention. Like, no, I'm going to do that. So... After you achieve a goal, do you just immediately set a new one or do you just wait until you, you kind of embrace and enjoy that goal for a while that you've achieved? Um, well, you know, my undergrad uh, professor, Steve Tenike, he did say something that you have to reward yourself here and there. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, in the last, well, actually after graduating from grad school, in them first couple of years where there wasn't a lot of income and there wasn't a lot of work. It was a lot about sometimes you just, you have to reward yourself. And so there were little rewards. It was, I guess we can go out today. We can go out and spend a little bit of money. There's nothing coming in, but how else are we going to continue? <laughs> if mm -hmm. literally you never get to do anything. And so, yeah, there's a, there's a little bit. And then I, in the last three years, it's, you know, I took my first vacation for vacation's sake in 2017. Congratulations. That's that a big the deal. First time I went somewhere without work being the reason I'm traveling there. Where did you go? Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> I'd always wanted to of go. All the places. Of all places. I've, I'd always wanted to go. So far, and we've been at this for about 35 minutes now. All of your traveling has been from one entertainment city to another entertainment city, you get to go on vacation. You're like, I'm going to another entertainment city. Oh, and you know what? No, the first time I went there was actually, was it 2015? It was 2015. I was working on a show at Oregon Shakespeare Festival and we were the first one in rep. So after we teched, we were going to have a week off before we did anything. That's the first time I... I but that was in the middle of another, of another project. And I did, okay. I did have, I think, two work meetings I had organized because I was on the West Coast and it was a cheap flight and a blah, blah, blah. So I did kind of go there for work because I was over there. But the first time <laughs> I like went across the country with no work on the docket 
was in 2017. Wow. Yep. So do you think you got into this industry for the traveling? Has you, I would imagine your job has taken you to quite a few places thus far. Um, I, I did not aim at traveling. I can say that that, I, that was not, that you have no control over that. Right. I, that was never a plan. Uh, I have seen some fantastic places. Uh, I've been to Florida multiple times, even multiple times in the same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, LA a couple times in the same year. Oregon, Texas, Iowa. <laughs> Iowa exists. Yeah. Twice. Uh, yep. You know, like, so I've seen some places in this country I would love to go back to. And I have also stopped going to certain places. <laughs> Uh, I landed in I landed in Iowa uh, during a tornado watch. That's when I landed. Severe Interesting. Weather, severe weather alert, and they were the people. The people I was with, uh, I was like, "Should we be doing something about this?" And they were like, "No, it only lasts for like thirty seconds to a minute." I was like, "We watch you guys on television." Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I've seen the news in New York, and I, I know that they tell me about the. Uh, the tornadoes in Iowa, and they say that uh, you should not be in tall buildings. You should be hiding in basements and stuff. Yeah, or should we be, you know, yeah, shouldn't we be putting stuff downstairs? Do you have stuff downstairs? Do you, do you, <laughs> like, can we talk about it? No, no, it's going to be all right. And then I realized why all the landscaping was immaculate in that town, and it's because it gets torn up all the time. <laughs> So one of the things I found on your website that I found really interesting is that you enjoy the storytelling of lighting. Do you find it better to tell a safe story and just kind of compliment? Or do you find yourself uh, leaning more towards trying to make people think and make people uncomfortable with your lighting? Do you, do you try and make more art that is, is thought-provoking or, or comfortable? I try to do what I need to do to tell the story adequately. I won't say that the that the lighting is the lighting is never thought of separately from the from the from the thing. There's a there's a word that a classmate of mine from Ithaca he always used to say, and we we always used to laugh about it. Uh, was the word juxtaposition? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I just uh, think about, I can now say this because I, I can tell that that's what I'm thinking about, that it's often, should we be in line with, with the thing or is the contrast between one thing and another thing actually stronger? Mm. Like uh, I taught a class that turned out to be just on change. Just, you know, anytime you introduce something, anytime something changes from what it is, you can call that in cueing, in uh, in acting. It can be uh, the the difference between moments or the difference between beats. Like, how what is that? How do you um, how does that change? How does that? Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to say it without saying the word change. How does that impact the storytelling? Um, and so I think a lot about that. Should there be a change in the light here, or shouldn't there? Mm-hmm. You know, that I, is the should be question one every time, isn't it? Yeah, and and sometimes you you know, the basic reaction is, oh yeah, we should do it. You know, you can read the structure of the of the script or whatever, and you're like, yeah, there should be a cue here, there should be a cue here. Then when you're watching it, you're like, you know, this this whole thing might be better if lighting did the first thing, and then this in this whole piece in between was continuous with no change so that we can just listen to the words or just listen to the music or, you know, like it's, that's an extreme example, but like, so that's, I'd say that that's how I think most about it. And that applies to literally anything. Uh, Even on a concert, there are the numbers that, you know, you want to be big and flashy and, you know, whatever. And then it's almost like you have to look at the, at the evening as a whole and say, well, in order for them to continue to be, to feel big and flashy, we have to have a moment where we have some, some relief, some relaxation. Mm-hmm. And getting that in, 
it's sequentially getting that at a certain point might both it will both help the things that follow that return to big and flashy and it will also it might uh help the thing that you are now decelerating on to also be lifted as opposed to just continuing 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 and then you you know you get to the end and you don't have a finale because in fact the whole thing has now gotten you to the level of finale does that make any sense <laughs> yeah no it's it's uh, it's really important to not uh, waste all your energy on the on the wrong spots you need to really show some restraint where it belongs and you need to really uh, create the cues where they belong and uh, it sounds like you're very aware that if there's no reason for a cue there, then don't put one there. Sounds like you're very aware that these are all conscious decisions that we have to make. And like lighting really only has seven or eight tricks in the bag, mm-hmm. you know, color, angle, direction, volume, intensity. Like you've only got a handful of tricks. Right. And so how do you, in what order do you put those tricks? What combination and how mm-hmm. often do you use them and how can you get the most out of them? I assume that this, that's what everyone is trying to do. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like music. There's only, there's only six strings, but man, they may, they, the things you can do with those six strings are infinite. Right. So you were saying that you are also teaching now. When did you realize that you had enough clout to start teaching or to word it differently? Like how did you have the confidence to go back to school and say, you know what? I've, I've been in the game long enough. I can teach. I've got something to say. I have a voice here. Well, in high school, not that I knew anything, but I was the, 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 like, the glue holding together, needing to get a project done. And I would just ask my friends to come in and I would have to explain what we're trying to do. Not that I knew anything. Right. But uh, the, whatever I had gathered. And so that was a form of teaching. When I graduated from grad school, I, I went I went to grad school 25% for one reason and 75% for the other reason. The other reason being the 75% was that I was in these Broadway theaters and I felt like everybody knew something that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, hmm, I should go to school. And then also uh, the idea that teaching, you might need an MFA if you don't get enough credits or enough accreditation or whatever, you, you're going to need that when you're 50 years old if you're burning out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I said, you know, maybe maybe this is, this is something we should just do and get out of the way. And, and so that I'd say that those are, maybe it was 80% and 20%. Um, it's not like I was getting the MFA to teach because that was not the case. Right. Um, and so when I, I graduated from... Uh, Yale School of Drama in 2011. And I believe, I'd have to look at my resume, but I think it was in the spring of 2012, I was teaching at the, uh, my first teaching job at a college that didn't have a theater program. And I was teaching a one-off course. Oh. Just thought it would be interesting. And a friend of mine, she, she was there doing costumes for their play and she suggested me. Interesting. It's just a one-off liberal arts uh, elective course. You know, it's one. It was one of those programs where you know they have a theater in a building, and across campus they're putting on a show. Everybody comes in. You know, it's one of those. Uh-huh. Not not a drama department. It's not like they teach acting. Right. How'd it go? Um, I probably threw too much at those kids. <laughs> <laughs> You were so excited. You're like, I have so much to tell you and I've got a short time to do. I got to tell you everything. It was probably too much. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Now having taught for what, that was eight years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was too much. (laughs) But they hung in there. They hung in there. They really did. (laughs) Why are you telling us all this information? We don't, (laughs) we have so much more to, we're so far behind. Yep. Um, And so I've kind of, I've kind of, Thankfully, I have kept a teaching job almost every, I think all but one semester between whenever that was in 2012 and now. 
and you know it's interesting what's interesting particularly about um yale because that's where i'm teaching now is i just feel like um and i i've taught as i was just saying at the the no program level i don't i don't even know if they weren't even getting a ba i don't think just an elective Mm -hmm. so there's that i've taught at the ba level the uh bfa and now mfa uh and not in that order um that it's different to walk into a room where the students are also challenging you interesting that you are not expected to to just give them information and i'm not saying anything about you know that we shouldn't give out information because they are there to learn and to some things you can only learn by somebody telling you but I, I, because I teach at Yale and uh, I really get the sense that I'll say something and for instance the, the, my first time teaching at Yale I actually taught stage managers in their second year there who so I say second year they had been uh, on a crew maybe a couple crews they have done lighting in their past in some form, and now they have a chance to get their questions answered. And I would do all this talking and all this talking, and then they would ask these very specific, detailed questions. Uh, and I would be like, oh, that is, hmm, let me think about that. It's like that question had been simmering. Interesting. It wasn't, it wasn't necessarily directly in response to what I just said. They're, they've just got a question they've had for 18 months. And it just popped in and they're like, hmm. And I, and I have to be, I have to think about that. And I have to come up with a good answer or discussion. Um, and so that, I mean, I, that just happens so often at, at the School of Drama in the classes that I, in, in the class that I teach. And so I find okay. that that is that is very interesting. It is in no way me uh, putting together a lecture, giving them information, quizzes and tests. It's it's I don't it's not free for all. It is loose. It is in, it's a lot in response to what they bring. Huh. So after eight years of going back into the classrooms, are you are you feeling optimistic about the next generation? Are you feeling like they're they're really sharp and they're ready to kind of come up with some new ideas. I mean, yeah, it's interesting that they, I feel like they're, and it's not all at the MFA level cause they're all different ages. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely a different generational shift in the way that they think and, and their awareness of what is going on. Interesting. Um, and it's, it, you know, it, dep- it all depends on where they were when they experienced certain things. Like I know where I, wa- I was in high school in 9-11. And so that's the way I experienced it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so all these different things, the way they experienced them, and it's not just major events, but it, it, you know, there's a difference in thought and there's, a, there's, a, there's something coming in, in social consciousness and all that. Uh, and so, yeah, I think there are some, there's some yeah. people coming. Yeah. If they're anything like my kids, I mean, my kids are just hyper aware of everything. They, you know, you and I grew up in a time before smartphones and before the availability of every little bit of information that you could ever want at the tip of your fingertips. And now the kids and the people that are coming up next, they know or they have access to so much more information than you and I ever did that's so much to filter and get through. I would imagine that they've got some very intelligent questions that you couldn't have even foreseen. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's interesting. I have, I've taught undergrad and grad at the same time, like in the same semester. Mm -hmm. And it's not that the course is terribly different, but it, it has to be in certain ways. You know, I do have to give out more material to the undergraduates uh it's you know has to do with experience level and all that and whatever the way they process i i make a the drastic example is for the undergrads 
when I start talking, they take out their notebooks. And for the grads, they don't take out their notebooks. Interesting. <laughs> That's not exactly that way, but like they pose these, just these, you know, I'll, I will have talked for 25 minutes on a thing, moved on. And then someone will ask a question that's just like, it's it, been simmering for 40 minutes. Huh. And I'm just like, I'm going to have to think about that for the week. <laughs> and I'll have an answer for you next week. So when you go back and teach, do you feel like you're kind of cultivating hard questions? Are you kind of like, are you supporting diversity of opinions here? Yeah. And it's, it. I base my, I, I mean, with my, limited teaching experience compared to many other people. Mm -hmm. I try to base it on um, the things I think you need to know. And it's the, it's the, the things and the points of view and conversation. I think I have to tell you some things and just make sure you're, make sure you're thinking about multiple angles of the same thing. It, for many things, it's not for me to say, this is what's right. Mm -hmm because we know in lighting design, it's so, so, you know, it's all over the place. Ken Billington said something that um, he said, you know, lighting designers, we, we point the light at the stage and put it in a funny color. And, you know, it's hard to explain what we do and yet it's appropriate. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that's, that's actually a great example that, you know, so I can't say what is right and wrong, but I can say, did you look at this? Did you think about, did you look at the juxtaposition? Did you, juxtaposition <laughs> and then and then say so what are your thoughts on that and then someone will say yeah but what about this and then i try to answer that situation but make sure that they understand that it's that situation you know like it's it's a it's a real for many people this will be the last class class that they take this way on lighting and so what are they going to take from that mm -hmm. um and it's also not something that has been documented. There are many books and, and m many people have tried to document how you do lighting, but it's, I just don't think it's that clear cut. Some parts of it are, if you're coming from, from nothing, it is, you know, front side and back. But then when you get past that, it's a whole other, and the appropriateness and juxtaposition and appropriateness play that's like a how do you figure that one out that's like you have to you just have to make that decision those are uh that is the infinite the ongoing question isn't it uh, when do when do i play it safe and when do i break the rules when do i match the color and when do i go the opposite direction and even is that a rule right now like we're like so much conversation in class is just, it gets meta like that. Mm -hmm. that. Like they say, well, isn't this a rule? And I'm like, is it? Is, is that it? something we're <laughs> Is that something, is that a rule you want to follow? Because right. if it is, then you, then you should stick to that rule. But I don't, I don't, I don't follow that rule. So yeah, I don't know it's that not a rule. A <laughs> ah, that is so exciting to know that there are kids coming up today that they're just going to be like, no, fuck your rules. I don't, I don't want to do it the way you did it. And then uh, there are I would them. imagine that's tough for the, you know, the Ken Billingtons and the Don Holders that go out there and they're like, no, these are rules that you have to follow. And to just listen to these kids, like, you know, Hey man, fuck your rules. I don't, I don't like that. Well, you but, know? and, and for those students, it's like, you know, I think that you can make, you make a much better decision when you have thought about mm -hmm. as many parts of it as you can, you know, there's in some situations, it might be time that is that is imposing a rule and the rule is not time the rule is uh if we only have so much time then maybe we should follow these rules because that will give us a product you know like it's like that it's is it circuitous it's that connected but if you have open time then you don't need to you can explore and you can make a mistake and you can and is it a mistake and you can find out what it means but you know like so it, for them, that's the, that's the discussion I try to have is like, think, really think about the whole thing. Really. How that's many, awesome. You know, that's like, awesome. That is really important for people to hear that. Like, yeah, that's, that's the headspace that you need to be in. 
It, because in, in, in seven days, an audience is going to be watching this and we've got all these special effects, of, you know, transitions mm -hmm. and whatnot to get through. So we, uh, maybe we don't have time to explore all of them. Mm -hmm. Maybe if you did impose a rule, then that would give us some structure. You can break it later. <laughs> so outside of the diverse opinions, are you seeing actual diversity? Are you seeing more inclusivity these days in the theater? I would imagine New York is a fairly inclusive culture, uh, but uh, I know you go outside of New York a little bit to teach. Are you seeing a lot of different cultures and some new fresh ideas? Some new voices? Um, I think I, I, me personally, and I actually don't see much theater because I'm in the theater so much. I feel like I am seeing more, but statistics say otherwise. There's been a lot that has come out recently in the last, what, six weeks. And then, you know, people were working on some information. I know uh, Portia McGovern published some stuff uh, a couple years ago, and then aapac.org or .com or they published some statistics that had to do with the off-Broadway theaters, and I think the Broadway theaters, just looking at who was hired for what. And so, you know, do I think I'm seeing some stuff? I think I am. But then we have to look at those statistics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, programs and theaters around the country are also starting to come up against these things that just look back on, like, the last 20 years. And so they say something different. And, and so I, I think that you know, I would assume that the goal, and it's hard to make this assumption, is that audiences would, pre would prefer to hear more diverse stories. I think so too. And told by the people who are best equipped to tell them. Mm -hmm. That's an assumption. Yeah. I don't think this push would have come out of people not, the audience is not wanting to see, you know. Uh, and the box office speaks. And yeah, that, I mean, so that's what I think. That's well, I think Hamilton is a perfect example of what you're talking about. We, we've all seen the traditional storytelling about a lot of our history in, in the theater and in Broadway. But when we actually go like, hey, you know, let's take a look at what really happened here. And I think a lot of people are ready for that fresh new outlook. And they're like, no, let's, let's tell that story from a different perspective. And I think that's... I think there's a lot of validity to what you're saying here. I think the audiences are going to be pushing for some new, fresh opinions and some, some, some more honest storytelling. I mean, it's that and it's, and I think now we're going to, I think we're going to run up against, even though we're seeing this on stage, we, and not to say that we weren't aware before, but that the thing you're depicting on stage may have actually happened and you are watching it you're watching it happen again live mm -hmm. you know like that it, i've just been thinking about that you know someone bought a ticket to watch this happen mm -hmm. it's i don't know i just think that that's interesting i did a production of fires in the mirror in the fall and it's unfortunate that that is still relevant and resonant wow you know you hope that things have changed for the better far enough that we can say that that's history it's you know it's it's not it's not ancient history that's for sure no and that you know we're still having that battle yep um yeah so in your own experience are you f do you feel like you ever get typecast as a black man in into a black production role is that, uh, is that a... I don't think so. And I say that I have certainly walked in a couple of times and been like, I don't see any other people of color. Mm. A couple of times that has happened. And I know that that has happened to many other people. Uh-huh. Um, but also many, like I said before, many people that I, most of the people I work with it is, it is no longer our first time, second, third, or fourth. Okay. So I can't say that I'm, the, I'm, I'm checking off a box. Okay. And 
many times as I look back, the projects that I've been hired for are not clear cut. And so they, I think they are, they are looking for more. It wasn't, it wasn't just, it's, it was the art, it's the thought they need. That's what they, mm -hmm. you know, that's what they're trying to compose the right people for the team. You think you were chose more for the content of your art than uh, the color of your skin, it sounds like. I think, I think I would have to say, because that, you know, there have been no easy ways out. <laughs> very, I walk in and I'm like, well, this is going to be a lot of cues. <laughs> you know what I mean? Get like, to work, Alan. <laughs> yeah. It's not a, not a walk in the park. Yeah. As soon as you walk in, like you're, you're not here for any other reason than you're a hard worker. So fucking do it. Get to work. That's it. There's no affirmative action here in this theater. Get you, get your ass to work, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's refreshing. I really like to hear that. I know there's a lot of people that would like to say otherwise, but I mean, and it's tough for me as a as a straight white cis male to like talk about inclusivity because I feel I feel like I've been working with people of all all backgrounds, all colors, all orientations. And so I, I like to pretend that I see a lot of inclusivity, but I mean, I'm only one person. I only have one experience. So well, I mean, I, and it's also that, you know, it might be, again, the directors that I have always worked with, I might always be on the teams where the teams are always, you know, I might always be on the shows that, that uh, don't have so much of an issue. Mm. And I, because I haven't been on the teams that have the issue enough, I might not be seeing that. That you know, I'm a, I'm aware of that. Okay. Because when you look at other theater seasons, like there, I you know, every spring when seasons come out, people look and it's like, oh, that mm, okay, oh, so you're gonna do that. <laughs> okay. You're going there, huh? You're gonna do that right. one, right? And I've I have turned projects down, not. Not, not not having asked for the design team, but being like, just, I don't think I'm interested in doing that. I had done that play and, or that play many times, you know, mm. I know that play and I'm I just, and so I don't know what the rest of the situation was behind that. Got it. It doesn't sound like you, doesn't sound like you would change anything that you've done for any reason. No. And especially looking back on them. I mean, just so many good ones, just so many good ones, just I, Fires in the Mirror, I could have watched that just so many times. Kill Moon Paradise, I could have watched that just over and over. Just, you know, it just, it's so good. It's just that. No. Uh, so we, we are almost out of time, but that is a great way to leave. And I, I got to ask you this question. How do you deal with that? Uh, luckily enough, in rock and roll, I've had lots of shows and I've worked for lots of bands that I'm a genuine fan of. How do you, as a fan of theater, sit through a performance and stop yourself from becoming an audience member? Because I've it's happened to me a few times where I'm like, I'm just sitting here enjoying the show, and then I realize that, I, that there's a console in front of me. You're like, how do you how do you deal with that when you're a genuine fan and you're really into the show? I mean, I think it's important to, at some point, at, at some point before you stop working on it, you have to take a moment and be an audience member. Um, yeah. Jennifer says, this, Jennifer Tipton, she says this thing where you, you have to even take a night off and get fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. um, and I have realized that, you know, in things that are, some things that are very complicated, not the content of the show, but like the making of it, that I need to just try and see what the audience is seeing. It sounds so bougie, but like, I know, I know all the little pieces and did, did that, did that cue go right? And are they looking the right way and whatever. But sometimes it's just like, what, how is the audience feel? Where are they on the barometer right now in time? And how mm -hmm. are they perceiving this? I think that's important. That's again, that perspective when a student comes at it and says, yeah, but all of this, I'm like, but what, what about the audience? What about, are they paying attention to that? You know, I think, and not that you should or should not make changes. I want to stay very neutral because you have to make up your own mind. But 
the I think you do have to take a minute and be an audience member. Yeah, I agree. Maybe not while uh, you should really be working and putting it together. I think you need to get it working first. Yes. Get something working. But still, there's there's a lot to be said for taking your blinders off and saying, no, I need to really take in the full show because I'm so hyper-focused on the five-second cue timing of that one. And I think maybe it should be six. Nah, maybe it's 5.5. Only to realize it doesn't fucking matter if you sit back and you're like, well, as long as it's and somewhere between four and eight second timing, then then the the audience is going to enjoy that transition either way. Right, right. And and in being an audience member, you might also come up with the the feeling that what are these lights doing right now? And what that the lead you to maybe you shouldn't be doing anything. Right what now. the hell was that? What the hell was Alan thinking when he did this? This is yes. This is crap. I don't know if he made that decision at three in the morning or something, but that was a terrible decision. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for taking the time, Alan. I, I really appreciate it. I, I I love hearing the similarities between the rock and roll world and the, and the theater and dance world because I mean we're both lighting guys. And we have a totally different time frame and we have a totally different venue. But I think our end goals are, are are very similar. We're just trying to make people happy and make them think things and and make the story amplified. We're just amplifying the story here. I mean, I assume that that is the goal for everybody. Yeah. Right on. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. 